So today we're covering every word matters. Every word is important. Every word. Even tiny, seemingly insignificant words like like and as. As you saw, those two words can completely change the course of one's day. It completely could change the course of one's state of being. And it most certainly applies with the Bible. Those words change meanings of entire verses and passages that have been taken out of context because people don't consider those words. But when it comes to this whole idea of every word, every event, look at your outline. The rule basically says this, God has chosen every word and every event in the Bible for a specific purpose. Uh, you have Psalm 12, 6 and 7 on there where it says, the words of the Lord are pure words. Notice how it does not say the concepts, the principles, the general idea so many churches today, so many Christians, so many Bible studies that may take place at your schools or, or anywhere else, they're more interested in, what does the concept say? What is the general idea? What's the main principle behind this? At least we can all agree to that. And that's their way of trying to be buddy-buddy with all other kinds of churches when reality is, what it says will inevitably change the principles, the concepts, the ideas. If two people are saying two different things, eventually, especially when it pertains to morals or behavior or attitudes or whatever, eventually the principles, the concepts, the general ideas are going to be different overall as well. And we'll see that here in just a little bit. But the big one on this, the, the big encapsulating verse is Proverbs 35, 30 verse 5 on your outline. Every word of God is pure. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Again, if one word is off, it'll change the entire meaning of a verse. Look at John 21, 24 to 25. This is Christ himself speaking. This is the disciple, John, which testified of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his, Christ's testimony, is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. That is how the Gospel of John that portrays Jesus Christ as God in human flesh, that's how this book closes. With John saying, man, Jesus Christ did so many things on this planet. He said and did so many miracles that, goodness gracious, if we could put everything he did in a book... Not even the biggest library in the world would be able to contain everything. Now, what does that tell you when you think about that? What does that tell you about the things that we actually do have in our Bible? That if there's a ton of things that Christ did that is not contained in here, we must have the most utmost important ones. We must have the most very important things that he said and that he did for a specific reason. I have an example on the board here for you guys, and I kind of teased this earlier this week in our group chat. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. This is one of the most taken out of context verses in all of the Bible. For example, it's always used on all of these stupid Christian inspirational posters. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, like climb Mount Everest. Yay! Yay for that. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, like throw myself off a cliff. 
and possibly even be photoshopped. Doesn't really look real to me. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Like walk through a wheat field dressed like a gym bro. Like that guy is so out of place. What is he doing in a wheat field? They didn't even spell things right. <laughs> Did they really? I can do all, oh, excuse me, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I don't even know what version of the Bible that is. I can do all this. I can do all this. I can do all this, bro. Come at me. I'm in a wheat field. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, like do absolutely nothing. Just stand on a beach, looking ultra spiritual. Uh, you guys probably can't see this or not, but I, I did this little snip up here. For those of you guys who use Blue Letter Bible, again, either on your phones or if you guys even have laptops, uh, there's a function on here where you can actually check to see what do other Bible versions say. And the point I wanted to make with this is that your Bible, the King James Bible, says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. And you look at all of the others in line with what we just saw earlier with all these pictures. Each and every single one of them, it doesn't say which... It says, who? And I am willing to bet, because I've done it too, that to some degree or another, some of you in here have probably even misquoted that verse to say, I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Again, the point that I've already emphasized, and I'm pretty certain that the video did a good job of emphasizing too, is that one word can change the entire meaning behind a verse. You guys do understand that, although they do begin with the same two letters, who and which are not the same, and they do not mean the same thing, and they don't even function the same way in grammar. Now, I'm going to go a little deep here with some English on y'all, but don't worry, we'll go through it together, and if you just listen, we'll get through the other side. This word which here, it's known as a present active participle. Did someone say that? Sammy! I didn't even know they still taught present active participles in school. Way to go! Perry! <laughs> present active participle. So here's the thing. We're going to break this up. So you have, uh, without, with the exception of uh, active, you have a present participle. You guys know what a present participle does? It is an adjective, or it relates back rather to the main verb. I don't want to draw the air yet. It relates back to the main verb of the sentence. So who can, looking at this, sorry, it's a little bit of an English class today. Looking at this verse, what is the main verb in this verse? It's the only, it's the only verb. So if the present participle relates back to the verb, that means the witch is talking about doing all things. Now, the active aspect of it, this relates back to the subject of the main verb. Now, it might be very, very tempting to want to say, well, of course, the, the subject with a capital T, the subject is, of course, Christ. But don't think about as far as subject as in like main character or main person. Think about it again. We're talking grammar here. We're talking sentence structure. Subject and predicate. So, 
thinking about the subject of a sentence, what is the main noun in the subject? Jake? I. I. So the active part relates back to I. In other words, I am actively doing all things. Now here's where this is going. The fact that it says which and not who. The fact that it, which is a present active participle which relates back to the doing all things changes the concept and the principle of this verse. Imagine if it was who. Imagine if this was who. I can do all things through Christ. Who strengthens me? We just drew the arrow back to where this actually goes. If it did say who, where would we draw the arrow to? Christ. Do you see how this changes everything? One verse says, I can do all things, and Christ is going to give me the strength to do all those things. The other verse says, I can do all things which strengthen me. How can I possibly do that? Well, through Christ. But I'm only doing the things which are going to strengthen me. Because so often, Christians get it into their heads and in their minds, man, I can climb this mountain. I can throw myself off the side of this cliff. I can just stand here and do nothing, but I look really super spiritual. I can go do this for God. I can go accomplish this for Christ. I am going to be a pastor. I am going to be a missionary. I am going to do this, this, and this. And the gist of the matter and the reality of it is, is that God may not be calling you to do any of those things. One verse says, hey, I can do all the things which strengthen me. Because again, the word which, it's talking about doing all things. It's through Christ that you have the power to do that. But the other one is saying, man, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's going to be the one to let me do whatever my heart's desire is. You know how many Christians have gone on to American Idol or any of these big top like music game shows or gone out to Hollywood to try to be a big top 10, the next Chris Tomlin, the next uh, stinking what's-his-face, I can't stand him. Chris no, 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 everyone that you guys like. <sighs> he dresses uh, uh, like in baggy clothes all the time. Why am I blanking on his name? <laughs> I can't stand him either. No, you guys are all going to hate me when I say this. Uh, uh, no, no, no. Oh, like we sing all of his songs here all the time. I know. Um, Phil Wickham? Yes. Yeah, Phil Wickham. Everybody thinks they're going to... He likes himself. Yeah. Yeah, but his songs are Yeah, yeah, I'm willing to bet that he probably isn't the one writing all of his songs. Anyways, I digress. I digress. Everyone thinks, it used to be 10 years ago, everyone wanted to be the next Chris Tomlin with the next big Christian hit, the next big Christian anthem that you could make more inspirational posters for. And now everyone's trying to think they could be the next uh, Phil Wickham. You understand, do you guys have any idea how many Christians have gone on thinking that they can do that? And they've tagged their version of Philippians 4.13? I can do this, and Christ is going to be the one to give me strength. Well, what happens when he doesn't? 
You know how many Christians are walking away at a rapid pace because God let them down? And it wasn't even what the verse was saying. One word. One word changes the entire meaning of what the verse says. So I'm sorry. You might be a part in your schools of a Bible study that says, hey, let's all, hey, what does that mean to you? What does that mean to you? Can we at least all just agree on the general principle of the matter? I'm sorry, but when you change one word, you inevitably change the principle, the meaning, and the understanding and the concept of the entire verse. Every word matters. Not only on, that's more of like a doctrinal shtick. But even devotionally with what you guys are going through when you guys are reading your Bibles, this is why I mentioned on Wednesday night, don't hesitate to just take your time to read slow. Don't fret about trying to get a chapter through every single day. If you get through two verses of your quiet time, awesome. What did God speak to you during those two verses? Was there a particular word that stood out to you that probably you would have missed had you just been so dead set of, I got to get my chapter in before the bus comes. I got to get my chapter in before I got to drive off to school. Got to make sure I do that. When you're so dead set upon that, you will miss things like every word that God might want to speak to you. Maybe there's a word that stands out. You're like, I want to study that word out further. Where else does that show up in the Bible? That's the point. So on your outline, it's important to understand that the Bible does not contain the words of God. It is the word of God. Believing this fact means you are trusting that God purposely guided every word that was written, every word, chose every event that was recorded and supernaturally preserved these words and events from any and all corruption. This should forever change the way you read, study, memorize, understand, trust, and submit to the Bible. All right. So some examples of this. Point number one, every word. We've mentioned this ad nauseum in our Revelation study back in the spring, but the word or phrases that day, the day, the day of the Lord, it is always talking about the time frame from the rapture to the close of the millennial kingdom and all of the events that are encompassed therein. And similarly, the phrases those days... The time of trouble. And there's even an interesting phrase where it talks about a woman in travail. It's talking about pregnancy. A woman who is going through labor pains. In fact, one of our leaders is not here today because she is currently going through Braxton Hicks contractions and feeling that pain, that, oh, it's coming. It's coming. The baby's coming. The Bible compares the tribulation period to that of a woman in travail or in pregnancy. Here's an interesting one. Selah. Historically speaking, it is actually a musical note that means to pause or to rest. Those of you guys who are in any kind of choir or show, you guys understand that there are rests and pauses in music. Well, the Bible has the word Selah, and it always shows up in the songbook, the book of Psalms. But what you may not realize is that that word Selah, it also has a doctrinal picture of the time that is the millennial kingdom, the time when Jesus Christ has returned. He is back here ruling and reigning on this earth, and there's a thousand-year period of rest. No sin, no, no Satan, no nothing. It is just this time of rest. You go back through and you read some of those books in the Psalms and where God has strategically placed the word Selah or Selah, 
and you will find possibly a devotional application as you read the context of that passage. Gee, it's funny, all of these, these rules are starting to kind of work together now. Next, the phrase third day or three days. It's talking about the resurrection and, the new, and new life. No, not just the resurrection of Christ. Trace throughout your Bible where the phrase third day or, on the, or uh, three days also shows up, and you might be seeing a picture that God is trying to paint towards Christ and His resurrection. Clouds, that's an interesting one. The throne of God, the second coming of Christ. Ox is a picture of born-again believers. Yes, a dirty farm animal who's called to be strong and who's called to plow the land. Picture of a born-again believer, a worker, no less. The word ass, talking about a donkey. Trace that word throughout the Bible. It's always a picture of lost mankind and of sinners. And of course, as was so beautifully illustrated in our video this week, like and as. Whenever you guys, <laughs> I should probably be careful how I say this. Uh, whenever you guys use that, and I don't mean as a filler word. So like, I was like going to the store and like, that was a filler word. But whenever you use the word like and as, what is that called in grammatically speaking? Simile, yes, uh, I think, yeah, the metaphor too. It could be used as a metaphor, right? No. No, metaphor is a simile, but with the exception of like or as. Oh, it's with the exception of like or as? All right. Dude, I was right there with you, man. I thought. All right, so yes, a simile. Something that is similar to, it's painting a picture. You're right. Through similitude, these words indicate deeper truths. Here's a big one. Matthew 10, 16. This is Christ speaking right before he sends his disciples out on a missions trip. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Look what he says next. Be ye therefore wise as what? Now, when you think of serpents, where does your mind automatically go back to? Yeah. Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, the serpent. Why would Christ tell us to be like the serpent? Or to be serpents. Well, that's the thing. He didn't tell you to be a serpent. He told you to be wise as serpents. You go back through Genesis 3 and you see how wise that serpent was? There might be some tactics that you can use from the enemy's playbook to your advantage when you're witnessing to your friends. There might be tactics you can... I can't think of a specific example, but man, we used to be, <laughs> we used to do things all the time, like to, to trick people into coming to church with us. Like, oh no, this is going to be fun. This is going to be like a really cool game. Or I remember there was one night we, this is actually kind of bad. You, so the example I'm going to give is, you know, outdated, of course, and, and you don't want to turn your guests off to church, but this is just one of those things where take the, the meat of it and build upon it. But we would have like youth activities where we do movie nights. And so, of course, your guest is thinking, awesome, it's going to be like, you know, like some big blockbuster movie. And it's like this low-budget, like, Christian cheesy movie. And that we would then use to, like, preach the gospel to afterwards. And, of course, they're like, wow, that was the worst acting, worst directing, worst movie I've ever seen. And now I don't want to come back to your church. So, <laughs> it's tactics like that. But, you know, again, you want to be... You gotta think it through. So maybe that was a horrible example. Maybe now that's all you guys are thinking about. Ooh, how can I do this? Be wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. 
Again, a lot of people get thrown off with that verse, especially that Christ would say to himself. Well, no, he's just saying there might be some tactics that the enemy uses against us that we can probably start playing offense with. Uh, all right. This is the exact reason. So, again, every word matters. And as we kind of illustrated with our second hook today with this verse and all of the Bible verses on there, do you guys see why God does not want you to add, subtract, or change his words at all? And in fact, I've mentioned it before, but here are the actual verses. Three times in the Bible, the beginning, Deuteronomy 4.2, Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it. Don't take things away. Ye may keep the commandments of the, in that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. The beginning of the Bible, towards the beginning. Don't mess with my book. Don't mess with my words. Don't add anything to it. Don't take anything away from it. Proverbs 30, verse 6. Hey, we just read verse 5. In fact, it's on the top of your outline. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. The very next verse, add that. Did you guys catch that, by the way? Every word of God is pure. He is a shield. Again, the rules of grammar indicate that we're talking about every word being pure. Who's this he that's referring back to? Oh, because the book is him in written form. That's why. Very next verse says, Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. And the very final verses, fourth and third to last, of the very final book of your Bible, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, If any man shall add unto these things... God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. Yikes. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life. No, he's not taking away his salvation. He's taking away his part, his inheritance, his rewards. And out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Towards the beginning, the middle, and the end of the Bible, you are told, don't mess with it. Don't add to it. Don't take away. Don't change or alter it. And yet, that was just some of the Bibles that are on the market today. Number two, every event. You have the days of Noah and Lot. Two blanks there. The days of Noah and Lot. This is a picture of the world before Christ's second coming. More on that in a little bit. You have the life of Joseph. You know what's interesting about the life of Joseph? Do you realize that he is the only Bible character in all of Scripture that not one negative thing is said wrong about him? Not one. Moses, murderer. David, adulterer and murderer. Joseph, there's not one negative thing said about him. That's what makes him one of the best Types, and we'll cover typology in a few weeks. He's one of the best types and pictures of Jesus Christ himself because Jesus Christ had no guile. He was spotless. He had no sin because he's God in human flesh. You look at the life of Joseph, and as you're reading these passages, you'll start to see things about not just Joseph's life, but, huh, that's what happened in Joseph gives deeper meaning to what Christ is doing over here. And now I have a deeper appreciation of Christ and when I'm reading the Gospels. And now that I know that he's a picture of Christ, when I'm reading Christ and I go back to Joseph, I can see things even clearer through Joseph's life. That's the point of this rule. In fact, there's in Genesis 37, chapters 37 to chapter 50, there are over 150 details of Joseph's life that line up with Christ's. 
That's phenomenal. Next point, the life of Moses. You look at the life of Moses, you'll see the life of Jesus Christ, and you'll get leadership lessons. I got Deuteronomy 18.15 and Acts 3.22 here because they're the same verse. But see if you guys can tell me what the difference is. Even down to the letter. We talked about jot and tittle last week. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me. Who wrote Deuteronomy again? Moses. So this prophet is going to be like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. And then Peter in Acts 3 is quoting again, For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. Uh, what's the, uh, the difference here? In the Old Testament, the capital P prophet and he's going to be from the midst of thee. He's going to be a Jew. Of thy brethren, like unto me. And Acts 3.22, Peter, the guy who spent three and a half years of his life with Christ, demonstrating, yeah, Jesus Christ truly was like Moses. His leadership style, things that happened to him in his life. You guys ever compare Jesus' beginning to Moses' beginning? Very, very similar births. Very, very similar state of the world. Those of you who are thinking about some kind of form of leadership, might want to study the book of, or the life of Moses. You might gain a few things devotionally speaking. And of course, the book of Exodus or the wilderness journey, the promised land. This is talking about the gospel and the subsequent spiritual journey that we all go through. All right, we're going to do something a little different this time. I want you guys splitting up into groups of... Eh, four or five. And I want you guys taking these next two passages that are on your back here. Yeah, no homework this week. But I want you guys to spend ten minutes. So maybe five for each passage. So maybe break up the verses that everyone's reading. Obviously, don't read all of Genesis chapter 6, 7, and 8. But get the general gist. We're talking about the days of Noah and Lot. We already went through. What do they signify? What I want you guys to do is not tell me what they signify because you already got the answers to that on your first page. What I want you to do is look at those passages and see what is it we can glean from Noah and Lot's life as to how things are going to be when Christ comes back a second time so that we can be looking for it and we can have a deeper understanding of what the Bible says. Any questions on that? All right. Break to it. Groups of four or five. Stay within your row if you want. I don't care. As we reconvene. All right, so what did you guys get? Throw out some things. What are some characteristics that you saw from Genesis 6 and 8? What are some things that you got from Christ when he was talking about the days of Noah, the days of Lot? I don't even know if you guys had time to go over to the days of Lot in Genesis 8 or 19, but what did you guys get? Yeah, you can partake of the apple cider, Andy. Sure. Okay. Yes, someone, anyone. Uh, the circumstance in Lot's times were like the times of the second calling. Coming. 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 Yeah. All right. So specifically, what did you guys talk about in group? How's it specifically like that? Anderson, go ahead. Loud and clear. 
<laughs> what happened in, where was Lot living? In Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah. What was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah? Men with men and women with women. Yeah. Homosexuality. And it, was it not accepted? It was not accepted. No, I mean, well, I'm, that was actually, it was accepted. It's not accepted by God, but it was accepted by the culture. It was accepted by the society of the day and age. Absolutely. In fact, when Lot tried to stand up and tried to say, hey, guys, guys, you know what? Hey, let's just, you know, can you guys just let them have a pass? You know, these guys are kind of with me. They start laughing at him almost as though his testimony was a complete joke, almost as though he was one of them. He wasn't godly. He wasn't standing up when he tried to convince his, his family members, guys, we got to get out of this world. Judgment is about to come. They all laughed at him. They laughed at him. That was a testimony he had. No one could tell the difference between the godly and the ungodly. Can I tell the difference with you? See, that's the historical and the doctrinal, but now let's bring it back home. What's your testimony like? Is there any difference between the way you live your life and the way the world is? Do people look at you and see there's something different about you? Give an indication as how far away from the end we are. All right, what about Noah? What else did you guys get? Anybody get to the past where Christ was talking about what they were doing? Yeah, Kendall? They were, like, eating and drinking excessively, so, like, they were focused on earthly mm -hmm. Do you notice the phrase also where he says that they were marrying and giving in marriage? Oh, boy. I... Why did I say I'm going to be wrapping this up soon? Uh, I'll, I'll cover it in, the, in, a, in a future uh, day, but... Um, it's interesting because, you know, God doesn't really repeat himself. If he does, you might want to pay attention because even when you look at that phrase, it's not really repeating. They were marrying, but they were also giving in marriage. Those are two separate acts. Those are two separate things that are going on here. And then you follow through. Remember the woman at the well when Christ is talking to her and he's talking about all the husbands she had? And then he said, yeah, and the guy you're with now, he's not even your husband. And then you go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So again, we don't have the time to go over now. You guys can check it out later. But there's some interesting passages in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 talking about that when you become joined to a harlot, when you're joined together with a harlot, you become one body. And then he quotes a verse that is often quoted at weddings, marriages, because it's what God did with Adam and Eve, uh, when two are brought together, they become one flesh. It's almost as if to indicate that every time someone fornicates, they're giving in marriage. Yeah, the woman at the well, the harlot, she had a lot of husbands, but not legally. It's almost as if it indicates that whenever you fornicate in God's eyes, because that was always intended for marriage, you're married. And you study out Proverbs and all of the sorrows that Solomon had in Ecclesiastes, all the sorrows that Solomon had for the many wives that he had, and he was absolutely miserable. And you think about all the suicide rates that are going on today, and you think about all of just the depression that is going on, and you look at someone's life who is like that, and what kind of a personality are they? All of these kind of sexual immorality that is going on, it multiplies sorrows in your life because it was never meant to be that you just fornicate with whoever you want. You just have sex with whoever you want outside of marriage. It was never intended to be that way. 
The reason why their life is such a mess and they always need to go over to another partner is because, in God's eyes, they are just racking up multiple spouses. And the breakup, the emotional breakup from that after being physically that close with something that was never meant to be outside of marriage, it just exponentiates your sorrow and your depression and all the stress and the problems you have in your life. That wasn't even where I was going to go with that. I was going to go in Genesis chapter 6 about the sons of God, these angelic beings who left their first estate and started having sex with the daughters of men and the beast of giants that came forth upon this planet before the flood and after the flood. And it brought about these demonic giants. And as it were in the days of Noah, so shall it be again in the coming of the Son of God, where we have giants, where we have people from up there coming down and being intimate with daughters of men and creating this ungodly, demonic race of giants. Yikes. I guess I'll just have to cover that another day. Or you guys can do some studying on that. The only thing I'll mention about the ox and the ass, turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. But real quick, what did you guys get? What's the takeaway? What's the, what is it about the ox being a picture of the Christian and the ass being a picture of a lost person? What is the application that you guys took away from that? Jake? Lost people are stubborn. Yeah. Be very, very hard. Getting friends to church can be very, very hard when you're preaching and witnessing to them to get them to deny their pride to receive Christ. Again, I, I've mentioned this before. Do you guys notice how many times Paul has repeated himself so far in our study of Romans? How many times has he let it known to you? Yeah, salvation, justification is not through the works of the law. You cannot be justified through the law. How many times have we worked through that ad nauseum? Because sinners are stubborn and they need to hear that again and again and again and again. What else do you guys get? AJ. That they can't work together. Nobody. Deuteronomy 22.10, what did that say? Do not do what with a, an ass and an ox? Let them plow the field together. Yeah, because you're not going to get anything done because that ass is going to be stubborn. He's going to be going this way. He's going to be yanking his head this way. And it is inevitably going to slow down the work of the oxen. The ox might be strong enough to plow through, but not at the rate that he would normally. He inevitably will be slowed down. Either the ox will get tired and fed up and he will quit, or he will be slowed down tremendously and hindered in his growth. Now you take that concept of what he's talking about with these animals, and you look at 2 Corinthians 6, and this unlocks a truth of Bible study that takes a verse deeper. Verse 14, be ye, he's not talking about oxes and donkeys anymore, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Why? Because if you are saved and you are with someone who is not saved, one of two things will happen inevitably. You will either be slowed down tremendously in your walk or you will get so frustrated by being with this person that you will eventually quit the work. I have seen it happen countless times. Now, the context of this, yeah, 
oxes and asses. And I'll save this part for when we go to biblical relationships in the wintertime. But you realize that although this verse is talking about lost and saved getting together, the concept and the principle are kind of true when it comes to Christians with Christians. Someone might be further along in their walk than somebody else, and they get together, and the person who's farther along in their walk, and I'll just be blunt, it's typically the girl. When they get together with a guy who's not where he should be as a leader, one of two things inevitably happens. The ox slows down so that he can catch up when God wants to take her all the way over here. Or she gets frustrated and she quits. I have seen it happen countless times. Hmm. Why would God talk about an ox? Why would he talk about an ass? Well, when you trace these words through and you understand the principle that every word matters, God will unlock a truth for you that hits you right where you're at in your walk. Let's pray. Thank you.